Amen. Let's take our Bibles, please. Turn to 1 Kings chapter 18. 1 Kings chapter 18. The Lord's help tonight, I'd like to preach a message that I've entitled the 7100. The 7100. And you'll find out during the message what that really means. The 7100. 1 Kings chapter 18. We're going to begin reading in verse 17. And again, just like this morning, very familiar passage of scripture about Ahab facing off against the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. And we know, even though I say that, we know that it was not Ahab that faced off against them. It was God Almighty. And they didn't stand a chance because God is still on his throne. And so let's look tonight, 1 Kings chapter 18. And I want to look at just a little bit of a different take on this. And uh, there's just certain passages uh, that, that a preacher will preach many times over the years. And this is just one that draws me back uh, several times. The, the 10 lepers, I think I've preached five or six times over the years. This passage, probably the same. I, I really like learning about Elijah's prayer in this chapter. It's a great lesson on prayer, and, and we'll maybe look at that another time. But First Kings chapter 18 tonight, and look with me at verse 17 as we consider this message entitled, The 7100. And it came to pass when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said unto him, Aren't thou he that troubleth Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but thou and thy father's house. And that ye have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and thou hast followed Balaam. Now therefore send and gather to me all Israel unto Mount Carmel, and the prophets of Baal, four hundred and fifty, and the prophets of the groves, four hundred, which sit at Jezebel's table." So Ahab sent unto all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together unto Mount Carmel. Now, if you're in the habit of underlining in your Bible, would you just look at verse 20 with me and underline that phrase, all the children of Israel, all the children of Israel. Now, when the Bible says, for God so loved the world, what do you think the world means? Not a trick question. Somebody help me means everybody. That means the world. When the Bible says all the children of Israel, what does it mean? It means all. It means everybody. Now, I don't know for a certain that they all came, but he sent for all of them. They were all invited to this great scene that was going to take place on Mount Carmel as these 850 prophets, 450 prophets of Baal would, would dress the sacrifice and call down fire from their fake God. And these 400 prophets of the groves that dine at Jezebel's table, they would be witness to this site, but also all the children of Israel were invited. I think sometimes we forget that. We, we see this great showdown of Elijah up there, and he will say, and I believe uh, later on in this chapter, he'll say, I, only I, remain. But all of Israel was there as well. And there's been oftentimes in my life that I have thought that Elijah felt all alone when he said that. But I want to show you, I think it means something different. Now let's read on tonight, but underline all the children of Israel. Verse 21. And Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people answered him, Not a word. So we can see that just in Elijah's first address to the people that there's more than just the prophets of Baal, is there not? For as he says, How long halt ye between two opinions? Those prophets of Baal and the prophets of, Go uh, the, prophets of the groves they were not split between two opinions. They knew who they were following. They were prophets of a false god. 
That he was not talking to them. He was talking to the people of Israel that assembled. How long are you going to be divided in your opinions? Which God are you going to serve? How long halt you between two opinions? Verse 22. Then said Elijah unto the people, I, even I only, remain a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let them therefore give us two bullocks and let them choose one bullock for themselves and cut it in pieces and lay it on wood and put no fire under and I will dress the other bullock and lay it on wood and put no fire under and call ye on the name of the Lord uh, call ye on the name of your gods and I will call on the name of the Lord and the God that answereth by fire let him be God Now notice uh, your Bible in verse 24 look with me very carefully and call ye on the name of your God, small g, right? Has everybody got that? Small g gods. Elijah was not acknowledging that their gods were real. He was talking about their little idols, their little false gods. If he believed this God of Baal to be a genuine deity, a real God, he would have addressed him with a proper pronoun that was capitalized, but he didn't. Small g, your gods. And he says, as you read on, he says, uh, verse 24, and call you on the name of your gods, and I will call on the name of the Lord, Jehovah, and the what? God, capital G. Elijah's saying, I already know who's going to win this fight. You call on the little gods, and I will call on the Lord, Jehovah, and we'll see which God wins this war. It's going to be the true God. There is only one God. Uh, we, we don't need to decide. We don't need to figure this out. And Elijah was, was saying this is a foregone conclusion, but we're going to go through the exercise because God has told me to do it. That's key. In verse 38, you will see that he prays. He says, I've done all this at thy word. He, we, we have to understand that, uh, listen, sometimes we think that God will just do cheap parlor tricks to back up anything we want to take place that is not the god we serve god if you will just heal this or do this and we see all the nonsense on the televangelism and and we say is god in charge of all these or in behind all these cheap parlor tricks he is not elijah was able to call down fire from heaven because he did everything in obedience to the word of god and what god had told him to do uh, make sure we understand that. God had ordered this event to take place on Mount Carmel, and Elijah was just following the will of God and the ver voice and the word of God. And so out of obedience. And he says, God is going to win this thing. Verse 25, and Elijah said unto the prophets of Baal, choose you one bullock for yourselves and dress it first, for ye are many, and call on the name of your gods, but put no fire under and they took the bullock which was given them and they dressed it and called on the name of Baal from morning until, even until noon saying, O Baal, hear us. But there was no voice nor any that answered. And they that leaped upon the altar and they leaped upon the altar which was made and it came to pass at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, Cry aloud for he is, uh, for he is a God. Either he is talking or he is pursuing or he is in a journey or peradventure. He sleepeth and must be awaked. And they cried aloud and cut themselves after their manner with knives and lancets until the blood gushed out upon them. By the way, let me just put this in as an aside. The gods of this world are bloodthirsty. They are bloodthirsty. 
And, and there's always pain involved in serving the gods of this world. It discourages my heart to see that young people today are cutting themselves and, and uh, they have this idea that to, to see their pain, this blood that flows would ease their inner turmoil somehow. They are just appeasing the gods of this world and young people don't fall for it. There's a God in heaven who shed his blood for you. You don't have to shed any blood. You, you need to put your faith and trust in him. Uh, these gods of this world are bloodthirsty. The Bible says that Satan is a murderer from the beginning. The devil is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And that, that speak, have you ever seen anybody bitten by a lion? There's blood involved. I, I just promise you that. And so they are bloodthirsty creatures. And so let's read on, verse 27, or verse 28. And they cried aloud, and they cut themselves after the manner with knives and lances till the blood gushed out upon them. And it came to pass when midday was past that they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice. And there was neither voice nor any to answer, nor then any that regarded. Elijah said unto all the people, come near unto me. And all the people came near unto him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. And Elijah took twelve stones, according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, unto whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be thy name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench about the altar as great as would contain two measures of seed. And he put the wood in order and cut the bullock in pieces and laid him on the wood and said, Fill four barrels with water and pour it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. And he said, do it the second time, and they did it a second time. And he said, do it the third time, and they did it the third time. And the water ran round about the altar, and he had filled the trench also with water. And it came to pass, at the time of the, evening, or time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel, and that I am thy servant, that I have done all these things at thy word. Hear me, O Lord. Hear me, that this people may know that thou art the Lord God, and thou hast turned their heart back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust, and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces. And they said, The Lord, he is the God. The Lord, he is the God. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we need your help tonight, and we ask that the Spirit of God would do just that, that he would speak to us, that he would help us. Lord, I'm just thinking as the prophets of Braille cried out to their God, they must have been very nervous, for he had never spoke. And yet now in this showdown, they expected to hear from him. Lord, I'm thankful for a God that speaks to us with a still small voice in our heart, a spirit that will never leave us nor forsake us, your word to guide us and to give us the will and the mind of God. Lord, I just pray that you'd help us to listen to him tonight. Speak to our hearts. Help us to be submitted to him. Lord, I ask for your filling. And Lord, we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to paraphrase, if I could, the first 16 verses of this chapter. In 1 Kings chapter 18, we read back earlier in the chapter that Ahab is now coming into the coasts of Israel. Or sorry, not Ahab, Elijah is coming into the coasts of Israel. Obadiah was a godly man. He was also a man of God that had hidden some prophets in a cave. You might remember that Ahab had required the life of the prophets of God. And so he had taken 100 prophets, the Bible says, and he hid them by 50s in caves 
to preserve their lives. Later on, Ahab, who had trusted Obadiah, said to him, we are in this great famine. And of course, Israel was in a great famine. Elijah had prophesied it. You'll remember that Elijah had been preserved by a brook and finally by the widow of Seraphath, that she prepared meals for him and took care of him. This drought had been carrying on for many years and Ahab said to Obadiah, would you go out and would you find a place, maybe near some water somewhere, where there's some grass? We don't want all our horses to die. And so they sent Obadiah out one way and Ahab went another way, the Bible tells us, and they went looking for patches of grass where they could feed their horses. And Elijah approached Obadiah in the way. And he said to Obadiah, could you go and tell King Ahab that I'm here? Obadiah says, I can't do that. He will kill me. He says, what do you mean he'll kill you? He says, he's looking for me, isn't he? He says, yes, but I know the moment that I go and tell him, the Holy Spirit's going to whisk you away somewhere. He says, when we come to find you, you'll be gone and he'll kill me. And why do I deserve this? Don't you know I'm the one that hid the hundred prophets in the cave? Now, I didn't write the Bible, but that's the story we read in the first 16 verses. Elijah says to Obadiah, no, today I will see, King Ahab, you have my word. And so Obadiah obeyed the voice of Elijah. And he went to Ahab and he said, Elijah is here and he wants to see you. And we picked it up in verse 17. Elijah met with Ahab and he says, art thou he that troubleth Israel? And Elijah says, no. It's you. I want you to notice some things this evening as we consider this passage of Scripture. We're going to talk about the 7,100. And I'll give you a hint right now. The 100 is the 100 prophets of God that Obadiah had hidden in the cave. Where were they? We get up on Mount Carmel, and the Bible says all the children of Israel. Remember I had you underline that little portion of Scripture? All the children of Israel have been called. And I I believe that when he says all the children of Israel, I believe those hundred prophets were mixed in there in the crowd. They may not have been wearing a sign on their head that's saying, I'm a prophet, because that would have been certain death. But they blended in with the people, these thousands and hundreds of thousands of people that gathered down in the valley there. And by the way, it's the valley of Megiddo where Armageddon will take place. We stood on Mount Carmel, didn't we, Paul? And we looked down to that valley. And when you get to Israel, it's just, it's just hills everywhere you go. And you think, where could they ever have a valley? And you get up on Mount Carmel, and there's this massive plain. It stretches for as far as your eye can see, where all the armies of the world will one day meet and have that final battle. And Christ will return on a horse that says the faithful and the true And the word of the Lord will proceed out of the tongue of his mouth and will slay the armies of the world. What a day that will be. And that's where it will all take place. And I believe down in that valley we see thousands upon thousands of people of Israel. And mixed in would be these hundred prophets come to see this great battle. I want you to notice some things as we work our way through scripture that what is taking place in Israel at this time. First of all, we see there's an obvious division. There's an obvious division. There are those who are hiding in caves who should be serving God, and there are those who are boldly proclaiming the name of their false god, Baal. And so we have this showdown. 
We saw, first of all, the case of division in verse 17. The Bible there says, if you'll read with me, and it came to pass when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said unto him, Art thou he that troubled Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but thou and thy father's house, in that ye have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and thou hast followed Balaam. Let me say this, the world and God are always at odds. Those who walk godly in Christ Jesus and those who follow the God of this world are always going to be at odds. They're going to have a different philosophy. They're going to have a different lifestyle. They're going to have a different way things should be done in this life. And and so uh, Ahab says, man, we're having a lot of trouble in Israel. And Elijah, I think it's you. And Elijah turns around and says, no, no, we are having trouble in Israel, but it's your fault. It's your fault. There's a differing of opinions here that's taking place. But the Bible says this, the carnal mind is that enmity with God. There's always a constant battle taking place, a spiritual battle. Uh, We are going in different directions. We have different philosophies and lifestyles. Romans chapter 8 says this, for to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. James 4 puts it this way, Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that friendship of the world is the enmity with God? Whosoever there will be a friend of the world is the enemy of the God. Listen, it ought not surprise us when a government leader makes a decision and we go, wait a minute, that's not Bible-based. That's not the way a child of God would do it. We are always at odds with the world. Here's the problem, folks. When we become closely aligned with the world, I can guarantee you 99% of the time, it's us who are backslidden. We have fallen into the trap of the world. Elijah wants to draw a very clear line, doesn't he? He's saying, no, no, no. Ahab, understand this. We are different. And there is trouble in Israel. But it's not my fault. It's because you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord. That's why we're in trouble. So we see an obvious division. We see the case of division. But I want you to notice, secondly, the cause of division. Look at verse 18. And and we'll, we'll just clarify this very carefully. First of all, there was a decision made to disobey Scripture. A decision to disobey Scripture. Ahab says, I have not troubled Israel, but thou and thy father's house, and that ye have forsaken the commandments of the Lord. Understand this, they had the Pentateuch. They had the very law of God. Moses had given it to the people from the very voice of God as he wrote it on those tablets and gave it to the people and every Jewish boy would memorize the law of God. They had it and they knew it and he says, Ahab, you have disobeyed the scriptures. You know, one of our Oh, how do I say this? I I don't want to be harsh. Let me say it this way. The simplest and best way to express our love for God is just simply keep his commandments. That's it. He says, if you love me, do what? Keep my commandments. And the commandments that God Christ has given us, he says, they are not grievous. It's not something that would burden us down. As a matter of fact, to follow the Lord is to free us. It gives us that freedom in Christ. And so they they made this decision to disobey Scripture. But I want you to notice, secondly, and this is important, it is a decision 
to deify self. A decision to deify self. Look at verse 18. You have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and thou hast followed Balaam. Does anybody know who Balaam was? I'll give you a hint. He was nobody. He was a figment of their imagination. There there was no God, Balaam. So how do you know? Because he never did a thing. He never answered them ever before this or ever after this. He never never performed one miracle. He never ever did anything that would profess that he is deity. And and let me say this, there, there is God Almighty, Jehovah God, the Lord Almighty, there is he, and then there's a whole pile of false gods out there, and it all boils down to really two. Satan or self? Satan or self? Every false god you can think of is either demonic or a figment of our imagination, a god of self. You say, why is that important? You remember when the Lord Jesus Christ said to Peter, get thee behind me, Satan? Do you know what word he used there? Adversary. That's what the word Satan means. The devil is our adversary, like a roaring lion. He is Satan. And when Jesus said to Peter, get thee behind me, Satan, he wasn't referring to the physical character that we know as Satan, the devil, the serpent. He was calling him the adversary. You're acting just like the devil. You are adversarial to the cause of Christ. You are against me. And here's what I want to say tonight, that every false god in the world that has ever lived is either inspired by Satan or he's inspired by self. And I believe that Balaam was a god of self. You say, why is that important? Here's why. Because when we create a God in our mind, we get to make all the rules. We get to do whatever we please because our God's okay with it. We are accountable only to ourselves. And the Bible says that's how the wickedness of the earth grew up and came up into the nostrils of God because every man did that which was right in his own eyes. The God of self. And that's all Balaam really is. He didn't actually do anything for the people. You know, I'm afraid to say today that a lot of us have gods that we have created in our own minds. We justify a lot of ways why we don't serve God, why we don't love God, why we don't worship God, why we don't sing praises to God. But they're all just excuses that we have justified in our own mind and made gods to our own liking. We need to cast them down. That's what Elijah is saying to these people. He's identifying the problem and he's saying, you've made a God to self. You followed Balaam. Now notice this. Elijah also notices an observed decline. An observed decline. He made some keen observations. Look at verse 21 with me. Elijah came unto all the people and said, how long halt you between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people answered him, not a word. He noticed, first of all, the people had a lack of conviction. A lack of conviction. I don't know how many people gathered there. But I know that there's several several thousand likely. All of Israel had been invited. 
Gathering down there, we know that there's 450 prophets of Baal, 400 prophets of the groves. We know that there's a little, at least 100 prophets of God. Let me say this. In chapter 19, you will read that as Ahab returns home, you remember the rest of the story. We won't get through all of it tonight. Ahab calls down fire from heaven and God takes care of that altar. And then Elijah says, the famine is over. All the prophets are slain down in the valley Kidron by the brook. And they took, uh, they took all those prophets and they slew them. And then Elijah went up on a mountain and he said, go and look for rain. And seven times his prophet would go and look for rain. And finally he saw a little cloud like the hand of God. And rain would come. Jezebel would hear from Ahab that same day. And he says, here's what happened on that mountain. He called down fire from his God, but then he went and slew all of our prophets. And Jezebel says, I will do the same to Elijah. In chapter 19, Elijah flees into the desert. And while he's in the desert, God says this to him. There are at least 7,000 in Israel that have not bowed the knee. 7,000 in Israel that have not bowed the knee to Baal. Now you know where we get the 7,100. 7,000 have not bowed the knee to Baal. There's 100 prophets. So in this congregation that has gathered at this mount, there's possibly 7,100 people who in their hearts say we love God. But when Elijah says, how long halt you between two opinions? It says they answered him not a word. They said nothing. They did nothing. Isn't it something? Isn't it something that we are so quick to jump up and down and scream when we're upset about something our government does? But when the prophets of Baal out there, those prophets of self, stand up and besmirch the name of our God, we remain silent. My Bible says, earnestly contend for the what? Faith. Not for everything else. I just flipped on my calendar for 2022. And there's a little box. If you have an Apple phone, you've got the same thing. Maybe you've got Google, it probably has the same thing. If you've got a, some other calendar. And you can flip on the holidays. You got that? So I have a lot of birthdays in the church in my calendar, and I can turn that on and off. And so the birthdays, I get notifications if somebody has a birthday or whatever. But I can put on the holidays. Do you know that every day of the year almost, there's a different cause? It's people with a third green toe day. Let's celebrate them. I'm not joking. It is some of the dumbest stuff you've ever seen. I haven't seen one bald person appreciation day yet. I'm getting sick of it. But it's not just a day to recognize. It's a day to have a parade, and it's a day to go march, and it's a day to protest people who don't love me. I'm angry because nobody recognizes that I'm bald and I'm worth something. And, that, and that's, that's what everybody in the world is doing. 
Christians, stay away from that nonsense. Earnestly contend for the faith. 7,100 people answered him not a word. Oh, there was a lack of conviction. Then we notice Elijah makes a lament of complacency. Look at verse 22. Then said Elijah unto the people, I, even I only, remain a prophet of the Lord. I used to think, and I've heard it preached, that Elijah, Elijah was up there kind of bemoaning the fact that he was all alone. I'm, I, Lord, I'm, I'm here all alone. I'm your just lowly prophet. I'm, he wasn't. He wasn't. He was looking down that hillside and seeing the valley filled with thousands upon thousands of Israelites, knowing that there must be some that still love God. And when he says, how long halt ye between two opinions? And all he heard were crickets. He's basically saying, you mean to tell me I'm the only one that has the guts to stand up here and do something for my God? Am I the only one? I, only I remain? Obadiah tells me there's a hundred prophets down there somewhere. Where are you? Oh, you showed up for the show. You showed up to see who would win, but you lack conviction. And you're full of complacency. And the truth is that if Elijah had lost that battle today, if God had chosen not to rain down fire, they likely would have followed Baal for fear of Ahab and Jezebel. You see, that's what happens when we don't have convictions. Somebody said this. It's not a scripture, but somebody said it, and I think it applies. If we don't stand for something, we'll fall for anything. And that's exactly what Ahab or Elijah is saying to these people. I'm the only one. Where is everybody? Who will stand? And they answered him not a word. They answered him not a word. It was an observed decline. 7,100 stood with their hands in their pockets and let Elijah stand on that mountain alone. Oh, will we do better? And so we see, thirdly, an obligatory demonstration. An obligatory demonstration. This, this really bothers me. I've never been so upset reading Scripture before. I'm going to be honest with you. Look at verse 23. Look what these guys did. Let them therefore give us two bullocks. This is Elijah speaking. Let them therefore give us two bullocks and let them choose one bullock for themselves and cut it in pieces and lay it on wood and put no fire under, and I will dress it. And I will dress the other bullock and lay it on wood and put no fire under. And call ye on the name of your gods, and I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God that answereth by fire, let him be God. And you see that phrase next? What's it say? And what? All the people. Didn't we see that somewhere earlier? He sent for all the people. Could this be the same people? All the people answered and said, it is well spoken. You bunch of cowards. That's a good idea. Let let God prove who he is. They're saying we want to live by sight and not by faith. 
Why, why didn't these people stand up and say, Elijah, we're with you? You don't have to stand alone. We too are children of God. We have not bowed the knee to Baal. We are prophets of God and we will stand on this mountain with you and we will do whatever God tells us to do. But instead the people said, oh, that's a good idea, Elijah. If you can prove it, then we'll follow God. They were agnostic. They were skeptical. They really didn't have a lot of faith, did they? Boy, Read the Bible. Israel will make you angry sometimes. But let me say this. We are no better. We are no better. This demonstration was aimed at Baal worshipers. It was clearly meant to draw clear lines, but it was also a demonstration that was aimed at backsliders. See what I mean, backsliders? The 7,100 found themselves in the same crowd as everybody else. Likely tens of thousands, hundred thousand people gathered at the bottom of that hill. And if you don't believe that there's room for it, we'll show you a picture sometime. There's room for millions of people in that valley. Hundreds upon hundreds of thousands of Israelites gathered, and at least 7,100 were mixed in throughout that crowd. They had become com- comfortable being a part of the world. And they no longer would stand for their God. The 7,100 needed the demonstration as bad as the Baal worshipers. They had sunk so far that they were needing proof that God was real. They would step over to the side of whichever God won this battle. For a moment, I want to talk about the 7100. The spiritually backslidden, those living in fear, afraid to speak up, afraid to stand for their God. Again, I'm not talking about some political stand or some cause. And by the way, not all causes are bad. I'm just saying, why are we fighting for every cause out there and not earnestly contending for the faith? Taking a stand for our God. We live in a day that is morally bankrupt. And they need the church of the living God to stand up and say who God is. Now let me, can I flip this on the other side for a moment? Israel was in a place of despair. Seven years of drought had taken place. Wicked King Ahab and Jezebel had been ruling for that entire time. The hundred prophets that they did have were hiding in caves, running for their lives. And only one man would go out and preach. Ahab said, there's only one guy that troubles Israel. Are you him? There's only one. He never said, are you one of the ones that are troubling Israel? Are you one of the 7,100 that are troubling Israel? Are you one of the 100 prophets that are troubling Israel? No, he says, are you he that troubleth Israel? The only problem that Ahab had was one man. Why didn't he have 7,101 problems? Why wasn't he concerned about the prayers of the, 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 the 3,500 women in that group and the 3,500 men? Why wasn't he concerned about them teaching the Bible? And why wasn't he concerned about the Sunday school workers out there and the, the bus leaders out there? Why wasn't he? I'll tell you why. Because there were none. They were all backslidden. He was only concerned about the one that was sold out for God. That was it. Now let me ask you, 
What would have happened had 7,100 7,100 all used their gifts that God had given them to go out and teach their children about God? What if 7,100 people prayed in unity about the wickedness in their nation and the wicked rulers that were leading them? Proverbs chapter 21 tells us that the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord. What would have happened if 7,100 were worshiping like they should and singing praises to God like they should? What would have happened? Would that mountain have shaken if 7,100 down in that valley began to sing praises to Almighty God? Oh, but they might have died. There are things a lot worse than death. I would never want to stand before God ashamed. What if the 7,100 did something different? Let me ask you. Will you take a stand for God? We don't have 7,100. On a good Sunday, we have 250. And friends, we can continue to complain about everything under the sun. Or we can be a united force for change. Because the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord. We can see more people saved. What what if 250 people unified and saying, every week this year I'm going to tell somebody about Jesus. Pastor Paul goes out and knocks on doors all the time with Brother Cameron. They're out knocking on hundreds of doors a week. But I'm here to tell you that 250 people knocking on one door each every week is a lot, gets a lot further, doesn't it? A lot quicker. Can you imagine that? It would be something like 20,000 doors in a year we would do. Telling people about Jesus. Just telling your neighbor, your friend. We are wearing out the few, we have 250 that can do something. We have the 7,100. Will we earnestly contend for the faith? We need workers everywhere. Workers everywhere. People are tired and weary. Prayer meeting, we, we, we need prayer meeting to be packed out. Several years ago, Miss Britton gave me a book. And it was, had something to do with Israel. I, I can picture the cover. I just can't remember the title. And I read that book. And it was about Israel and the Middle East and, and everything that was coming together and, and how they were attacked over the years and how God... Super, and she says, Pastor, she says, if everybody in the church would read this book, they'd never miss prayer meeting again. I said, wonderful. So I bought a pile of them and I gave them out. <laughs> Same people came to prayer meeting. Where are the 7,100? Where are the voices of God's people? We keep talking about wanting to impact the world for Christ in our generation, but it takes work. It takes commitment. It takes fearlessness of a spirit-filled people willing to give their lives for Christ. Let's bow our heads tonight. Let's stand to our feet. 
obviously this burdened my heart tonight and and I'm, I'm not here to beat anybody up. I'm here to tell you that I need to be one of the ones that stand up too. I need to do more. Would to God that he would stir my heart. If God has spoke to your heart, would you step out and come? We need more to get involved. We need more to do. Listen, don't, don't ever say my time has come and gone. I've done my service. The Lord will return with his reward in his hand for what he finds us doing present tense not for what we have done what will the Lord find you doing <laughs> the parable of ten and foolish vir- the ten wise and foolish virgins five of them had their lamps filled with oil and their wicks were all trimmed and ready to go the others scrambled at the last minute trying to borrow oil from another but it was too late the Lord was coming with his reward. Would you pray? I want our church to have an impact in our community. We need wisdom in this hour especially. But we need God's people to stand. And I'm thankful for those that take a stand. Thankful for those that hold up the hands of this preacher. I appreciate you so much. But would you be one that would stand with Elijah and face off against the foes of this world 